very glad to be here and um, it's, a, it's a wonderful privilege to be part of a presbytery that, that loves and proclaims the word of God and that we can support one another in his work in this part of the world. So very glad to be here. Now, so that being said, turn with me to the word of God, please, in uh, Judges chapter 16. Now, we pick up this, the very famous, infamous story, really, of Samson and Delilah here. This is the third time, as I start reading, that Delilah has asked Samson, what's the secret of your strength? Because he keeps defeating the Philistines whenever he encounters them. And this is the third time that, that she asks. So just keep that in mind. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And then she said to him, How can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him. His soul was vexed to death, and he told her all his heart. And he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, 
Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the the foundation upon which we build in our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is the living word, and for the word that you have given to us by the power and help of your Holy Spirit. Please help us listen to you this morning. Help us see all and understand and act upon all you give us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if it, how long it's been since you heard the story of Samson and Delilah like this, but I come to the end of it, and I, and I think my immediate thought is, what is it with this guy? What a jerk. What a fool this guy is. And, and if you read even the, the chapters before this, you see the same kind of behavior all the way through his life. It's astounding when you look at it. Yet, yet, he's in the lists of Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. Listen to what 11.32 says. The writer says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Well, how can such a man whom I've just read about be on this role of faith? What is it that puts him there? along with this other crowd, frankly, of pretty bad sinners. 
as you look at the lives of these individuals in this role of faith? Well, as we look at Samson and his life, the first thing to see, and the most important thing probably for us, is the deceitfulness of sin. Now he has, as he referred, as he told Delilah, he'd been a Nazarite since before his birth. God had come to his parents with a messenger and said, this man will, will follow these rules and I will use him mightily in the lives of, of uh, my people. And that's of course what he did. But look at verse 13, or excuse me, in chapter 13, verse 25, where this happens. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Machinadan between Zorah and Eshtal. There in his mother's womb, the spirit has come upon him and is working mightily in him already. And this is true all the way through his life as he follows this Nazarite vow. And that's why the hair is long, because Nazarites didn't cut their hair. But right after this statement where the spirit of God is working in him, Notice as Samson is now an adult in verse 1 of chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then in, in 16.1, Samson went to, to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And then the fourth verse of that same chapter. After this, this is the third important woman in his life that the scripture tells us of. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. He loved a woman. He saw a woman. His, his idolatry of his own passions, his own lusts become quite evident. All the way through chapter 16, we see the same thing. He idolized this, these women. That is, who ruled his life? Was it the Lord God? Or was it these idols of his own passions, of his own desires? He's a slave to those desires. He, he serves them as his master. Because his master is, in fact, his own sinful, rebellious heart, even as one inhabited by the Spirit of God. And he is desperately blind to his Savior. He's desperately blind to his slavery, to his own passions. Blind to all that Delilah does him. Why else would he do it? Over and over again, she fools him. He's blind to who she really is. How could he agree to all these things that he, she asks him to do? In verse 17 of chapter 16 is a, is a strong clue, which builds on what we've seen already in these, in these chapters. At verse 17, and he told her all his heart. He told her all his heart. That's where his heart really was. It was in her. That's where, that's what motivated him, moved him. What were you thinking, man? What were you thinking? Well, that's what he was thinking about. That's what he was thinking about. 
And there's something else about, about Samson's spiritual condition. Not only his idolatry, but his pride. Back in chapter 14, Samson says to his father, Now, get her for me as my wife. And his mother and father say to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson at this point knows better than his father. He knows better than his mother. He wasn't honoring his father and his mother. He knows, that, he knows better than the God who created him, who by his spirit had empowered him in so many ways. He thinks he knows better because he desires a woman outside the people of God, the uncircumcised people, outside God's chosen people. He knows better in his head but his, his pride, I'm not like any other man. Look back in, 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 uh, in 16, back in that same verse 17. He says not only uh, that, that his whole heart goes out to her, but he says at the very end of verse 17, if, if my head is shaved, my strength will leave me, and what? I shall become weak and be like any other man. I'll be like any other man. The implication, of course, is, not implication, but the, the fact is, he's not like any other man. And that, in his pride, is what he leans on instead of on the living God. That's the one on whom he leans for his strength instead of actually on the living God. Pride is at the root of his problems. The Lord had chosen him. The Lord had given him gifts. But it's his own heart that rules, not the living God. In other words, Jeremiah, he's, he's affirming what Jeremiah says centuries later. The heart is deceitful above all things, above all things, and desperately corrupt. And then again in the New Testament in James chapter 1, where James tells us, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Is there a better description of Samson at this point? What happened to him? So, of course, we must learn this as well. This is also for us as we consider our own spiritual walk, our own walk with the God who created us. <clears throat> so when we ask Samson, what were you thinking, man? We need to ask ourselves that as well. We must remember the effect of sin on our own thinking, the effects of the fall, giving us and, and our own rebellious hearts that are lured and tempted, even as Samson was. Think of the relationship for a moment between pride and anger. 
Perhaps something happens and it's not as you planned it to go. It's, it's my plan. Tell them this is going to happen. And it doesn't happen that way. And we become angry. It's not how I wanted it. Someone did the wrong thing and messed up the plans. Or someone did the wrong thing and it hurt me. Or insulted my intelligence, insulted your intelligence very much like Delilah says, you mocked me, all this time you've mocked me. Or perhaps simply that person who angered you made your life more difficult. Have you ever made a seventh grade girl cry? I taught junior high for many years. I loved, loved it. But sadly, there was more than one occasion where that happened. As a teacher, there were simply too many instances in which a, a girl received, the, a misbehaving child, received the brunt of my anger. So rather than the patient, loving correction she was due as a creature made in the image of God, she was hurt by me. Were those tears manipulative? Oh, I'm sure there was some manipulation in that. Yet, it was genuine pain that I had caused her because of my own pride and her messing up my plans. Did I try to justify that behavior? Well, sure. Behavior that was a result of my impatience and earlier failures as a teacher to correct her in, in a timely manner, as I should have, well, sure, I tried to justify it. Well, you know, she was a mess up. She, I've tried, and then I would realize those tears would help me see the pain that I caused. Sinful thinking is so complicated, isn't it? It is so complex, so corrupt. As Jeremiah says, so deceitful. Blind to my own pride and anger, blind to the harm I'm doing. Our thinking becomes tangled in our pride and desires for justice. Our anger and pride seeking the best way to help someone. We find idols to serve in our corrupt thinking everywhere. Security, fame, popularity, lust, comfort, escape from emotional pain escape from physical pain. In our disobedience and rebellion, we are as blind as Samson was and as helplessly as enslaved as he was. So because God is holy, like Samson, we need a gracious Savior. No, like Samson, we desperately need a gracious Savior whom we have offended. So the second thing that Samson shows us is not just the complexity and deceitfulness of sin, but secondly, the grace of God in his own life. See, the Philistines humbled Samson. They humbled him. In his idolatry and pride, he believes he can handle Delilah. I got this made. She loves me. I'm the one. He thinks he can handle her. 
He knows surely he can't trust her, but he feels he can control her. So he gives in to her pleas. He gives her his whole heart. His pride of single, being singled out by the Lord leads to a Philistine victory. They blind him and enslave him and mock him. And make him a clown to entertain them in the presence of their God, Dagon. The triumph of Dagon over the Lord God of the universe. And he can go no lower himself because he's bound to a mill wheel all day long. A slave who's been blinded literally now. He can go no lower. He's a blind slave to all of his enemies. But here is God's grace in his slavery. In his blindness he sees the prayer in verse 28. In his blindness he sees... Samson called out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Sure, it's an imperfect prayer. You know, he wants vengeance too. He wants justice on this earth. But notice how he cries out. He knows. He knows to whom he belongs, the Lord God. He knows where his strength and all that he is truly comes from, the Lord God. And so he cries out to him. And God's hear, God hears that humble cry for help. And in his death, Samson has a savior. Samson has this God by his power and spirit who comes to him. And by God's grace, and in our blindness, which we must never forget, we too see. We too see this God and embrace Him. Paul says in Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated at us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So we bow before this God. This merciful, gracious, loving God. No room for idolatry. No room for self-serving pride. Only room for a heart given fully to him. This is the way of our salvation, even as it was the way that Samson was saved. By God's grace, we who are blind 
see this great Savior and like Samson, humbly bow before him. The mercy and grace of God saved Samson. What about you? Are your sins so great that in your pride you think no one could forgive you? Look at Samson. God in mercy forgave him. Look at the great list of sinners in Hebrews chapter 11. God in mercy forgave and brought them to himself by his grace and love. Do you believe you can please God on your own? Look at Samson's self-deceived pride and idolatry. See that Paul in Ephesians 2 goes so far as to call each of us dead in our trespasses and sins. Can any dead man get up and walk unless God, the Lord God of heaven and earth, give him life? Of course not. So even in Samson's death, we see that that life that God gave him. Flee to the cross. Flee to the cross constantly. Flee to the cross today. Flee to the cross for the grace and mercy of God pour down on that cross. And a Savior freely and marvelously gives each person who comes to him that life that he created us for and in his mercy gives us through the sacrifice of his son. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 11 says it this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come in fear of the final judgment. Come truly repenting of the countless ways that you have offended your Creator. You come. Come embracing by faith alone that salvation so graciously won on the cross. And freely offered, freely offered to all who come to him. If you have already come by faith, then rest in it and delight in it and marvel in it. If you have not come, then you come. The God of grace and mercy will embrace you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do indeed delight in the salvation you've won for us, and we marvel at it and wonder at it daily as we think of it. Forgive us for our pride and idolatry, our failure to love anyone but you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Please help us, we ask, in our Savior's name. Amen.